Hello, and welcome to Cool Playlist. I'm Eliza Skinner, and this is my podcast, where every episode we make a playlist for a specific life, moment, event, occasion, what have you, uh, always with a special guest. And today we're making a playlist for I Like You, 1989, with my guest, the director of Baby Driver and Hot Fuzz and all your favorite movies, Edgar Wright. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, how are you? You shouldn't ask a lady's age, but how old were you in 1989? You weren't even born. No, I wasn't born. You weren't born? No, yes, I was born, but I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) I'm still trying to book work where I can play 14, so... The the good thing is I believed it, though. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, you weren't born. No, no. That makes sense. No, I was, I was, I don't know, I was like in my early 50s then. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to start making people think I'm older than I am, so they're like, oh my God, you look amazing for your age. You've thrown out so many variables, I have no idea how old you are now, so that's good. Perfect. That's what I want. (laughs) Very Um, castable. Yes, great. (laughs) Uh, how old were you? I was 15 in 1989. Yes, that's why we picked this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was 15, and so that was, um, I can't even remember the, the names of, we have very confusing years in, um, I guess it They're all named after animals, right? <laughs> no. So this was like no. your alligator year. I get very confused with the, uh, the, 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 um, the stages of education over here. So uh, for me in the UK, it was like secondary school. You went infant school, primary school, secondary school, sixth form, and then you go to college. So I was in like uh, 89, I would have been in my, I guess, penultimate year, fifth year. No, that can't be right. Fourth year or fifth year? One of the two. I can't remember. So it would have been, I guess, junior high for us, probably? Yes. Okay. You've already you've already lost me. I get very confused. <laughs> well, I, I have to find I have to find myself whenever I get into that conversation and say, and elementary school is what? And high school is what? And then junior high is what? Yeah, some places <laughs> have we I didn't have junior high in my town, we had middle school instead. But uh all the kids in movies had junior high and it just sounded cooler. Um but it's basically the same thing. I, when I was fifteen, was uh either a junior or senior in high school, because I was, which is younger than people are supposed to be. So um, I, I was younger than everybody, which always felt very nerdy to me. But um, around this time, maybe like a year later, I had finally gotten a boyfriend, but he was a year younger than me, but was older than me. I, I um, around, I guess when I was 15, I was, um, it must have been the fifth or sixth, no, it can't be the sixth year, because then it goes into sixth form. I'm very confused. But it was 1989. I know this much. And I can picture what my hair looked like. And I knew that for like a large portion of my um, non-school uniform time, I was probably wearing a Batman t-shirt um, <laughs> in anticipation of Batman. In those days where you, I would, you would wear a t-shirt for something that hadn't even come out yet. Yeah. I don't think I do that now. <laughs> <laughs> you want to make sure that it's something you make actually sure like. That it's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, well, also Batman t-shirts then, I do remember, were the coolest thing. I think there are also back in that time when you're 15 where you would like wear a um, wear a t-shirt every day mm-hmm. until it could stand up on its own. And I think also I would wear it secretly. Like if I was working, I used to, I think around that time I had like two different Saturday or like sort of holiday jobs. One was as a car park attendant in a place called Wookie Hole Caves, which is near my hometown of Wells in Somerset. And I also worked at the supermarket as like a, a shelf stacker, or stocker as you call it here, is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah. We call it a shelf stacker. Either way, 
this is how much of a rebel I was. Sometimes I'd be wearing my Batman t-shirt underneath my workout wow, drawers. Wow, so you were wearing a Batman suit. Yes, it's like <laughs> Essentially I was secretly, secretly Batman <laughs> underneath my like overalls for uh, like Summerfield supermarket. So you couldn't be owned by the man. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, w- I worked at a grocery store too, uh, and I was a bag girl, and they, they didn't want people to be called bag girls, so we were called courtesy clerks. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my first job. So two at the same time. Um, and, not at the same time. And making time, teenage but, movies also. Yes. I don't remember. I remember that that must have been around the same time because I think maybe I worked one in Easter holiday and, and Saturdays. And then I, did, I definitely did one summer at this car park, um, which is a very strange job being a car park attendant because it's not really like a valet. It's literally just waving your arms to tell people where to park. Um, so it's like um, uh, like like f- the airplane guys. I mean, I wouldn't even have a sign. I'd literally just be waving my arms. So it could have been anyone. Just it could have been anybody. Mm-hmm. My brother did it as well, and he stayed there a lot longer. But I I I, I must I remember that because I just remember that it was like the summer that Batman was coming out, and that I was wearing like a Batman T-shirt. The other thing, this is also true. I mean, I think I had like three different jobs, but during that period, I also trained to be a projectionist. For a while, we're getting way off the subject of music, but I was um, like a, a teenage projectionist and I got fired because I was um, useless at my job and I had three strikes and I was out on the third one. But what? I shouldn't have really been a projectionist at 15. I could barely like lift the reels. I was a terrible projectionist also um, when I was I, probably like 17 um, and the, uh, the local, the, the paper on campus had a section called like cheers and jeers or something or whatever. And I regularly showed up in that. They would give jeers to the projectionist to ruin the screening of whatever because I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't check the films before I would load them. Yeah. So they would break or I would, they would be mislabeled so I'd have them in the wrong order. Yes. I remember all those things. In fact, one, the guy who trained me up, I remember a couple of things is that we put Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master in the wrong order. Nobody complained because you couldn't really tell what order those films were in. Mm-hmm. Um, also, then I think I got fired. If you were at Wells Regal in sometime late spring, early summer, 1989, and you attended a screening of Without a Clue with Michael Caine and Sir Ben Kingsley, Sir, Sir Michael Caine and Sir Ben Kingsley, two sirs, and it was completely out of focus for the whole of the first 20 minutes, that was my fault and I was fired that night. <laughs> Just not paying any attention? How did that even happen? I mean, I was literally without a clue. Uh, I mean, I, 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 that, that pun had never occurred to me until this very moment, <laughs> several <laughs> years later. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, that's what you were doing when you were 15, working a bunch of jobs, hanging out, making movies yet, listening Ma- to music, making, liking girls. What are we doing? Uh, all of those things. Um, I don't know how quite how I found the time for all this stuff, but I was uh, I, and my schoolwork probably suffered. I yes, I was making films at this point. In fact, nineteen eighty nine was also the film, the year that I made my first um, short film on Super Eight. And my parents had bought me and my brother a secondhand Super Eight camera, and so we immediately started making goofy like shorts. First, like in our garden on our house. Literally, the first thing that me and my brother shot was we set the the Super 8 camera could do slow motion. So we set up in the garden and threw all of our toys out the window at the camera. <laughs> so the, literally, the first thing I shot was like a sort of Sam Peckinpah esque like <laughs> <laughs> meltdown of like these just like destroying all these teddies and throwing all these toys at the camera. 
Um, Goodbye to childhood. Yes. And then mm. and then uh, I started making sort of goofy shorts with my friends. And that's probably why I was like holding down several jobs is I was trying to pay for them. Because Super 8 film was expensive. Like back then it was like the, the reels of film, which are only five minutes long would cost like 20 pounds, which back then in 1989 money, and when you're 15, is like a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I think sort of to do these films, I ended up buying like 15 reels of film, which was a lot of money. So I think that's why I was doing so many extra jobs. And then also I was um, like sort of hopelessly in love with several people and uh, making a lot of mixtapes, which is probably why I'm on the show today. But I would make <laughs> a lot of audio cassettes of, I would I would have I, I first started listening to music through my parents' vinyl and then buying my own albums. But then I was a, was a pre you know, CDs existed by this point, but I definitely did not have a CD player until yeah, I those, had more disposable income. So it was just that was aud- fancy audio cassettes and buying the occasional one and then copying friends' ones, copying things off the radio, and taking things out of the library and copying them. So. That was what I was doing at this point. And then, and then eventually making mixtapes of like um, to impress girls. Did it work? I mean, I was going out with somebody at that time, and we used to, I think we used to just make mixtapes for each other all the time. And um, my first proper girlfriend, her name was Christy, and she used to, there were some uh, bands that we both liked, and there were some bands that she didn't like and I was trying to get her into. And there were some bands that she liked and I didn't, but I would pretend that I liked them <laughs> to maybe try and get into her pants. So I'd like to say to Christy now, I never really liked Def Leppard. Mm. Um, but I certainly pretended to like the album Hysteria and Pyromania. And I'm sorry um, that <laughs> I, I was a, like, a, a liar, just a flat-out liar. Mm. Everybody does that. <laughs> does. And that's how you discover new music sometimes. You start out lying about it, and then you're like, wait, actually, this this does something for me. Not, obviously, Def Leppard. Listen, I did my, I, let's say I did my, I did my kind of due diligence. I listened to a lot of hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, do you want to get into this playlist? Sure. Okay, great. Um, the first choice on it is yours. Do you remember what you sent, or do you want me to? Uh, is it Prince? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think the first um, song is Slow Love by Prince, which is from Sign of the Times. And um, not the most... Oh, here we go. Oh, it's playing. Oh, yeah. Now, here's the thing. There's a theme in my sort of, like, I like you mixes. It's like most of them are trying to sort of, like, conjure up an atmosphere of sex. (laughs) Your picks are very sexy. (laughs) These are fuck jams. I mean, like, (laughs) yes. I mean, this one particularly, (laughs) this is like the least progressive song on this Prince album. It's like just a sort of an out-and-out Prince sex jam with like full-on... I also noticed listening to them back that like most of my um, songs have got saxophone in them as well. I noticed that also. Yeah, <laughs> three, three of them have got saxophone breaks. Yeah, we keep talking about that, that, that uh, the 80s had so much sexy sax and then Kenny G kind of killed it for everybody. Oh, yeah, that's made true. It, made it parent stuff. Well, the thing about Prince, what's so funny to me, because I... I, I I don't want to like sort of go into too much detail and too much information. You can. But I almost certainly listened to this song the night that I lost my virginity. <laughs> okay, yeah, don't. <laughs> um, but, but the funny thing about it, the thing that makes me laugh listening to I used to love Prince, and he was the one. When I was that age, I, I didn't listen to a lot of the current top 40. I listened to the top 40, but I didn't like a lot of it. I liked, and I was just sort of getting into indie stuff. So most of the 
uh, artists that I liked were older and they were before my time, like through my parents, like the Beatles and the Stones and Simon and Garfunkel. And then on my own, I would go delving into the whole discography of David Bowie, Roxy Music. Um, uh, and then the only sort of contemporary ones that I really liked, oh, the Kinks as well. The only contemporary ones that I really liked were Prince and um, R.E.M. and... Uh, in Excess was another band that both me and Christy both liked. So that oh. was like a sol- that was a solid one that we both enjoyed In Excess. So you came together on that. But I don't so think she speak. liked Prince. And so I would really be trying to educate her on Prince. And oh, um, It's a great boyfriend move. Well, I mean, <laughs> the other thing that's just so funny to me listening to this song, and when I listen to it, it makes me laugh so much because I think, like, I, I, you know, I could, I could barely compete like with like sort of like uh, I would be twin you know like, <laughs> like like the thought the thought of like trying to sort of like have sex to that song when you're 15 like I don't have <laughs> the knowledge now I certainly didn't then and so it's so funny to me like listening to sort of yeah you couldn't I couldn't kind of like uh, like um, master any speed of love at like 15 <laughs> so the idea of like listening to the song called Slow Love is like hey you know we do a lot of fucking girl but let's just really slow <laughs> let's it down change it now up. let's change it up and really slow it down and make it really last and it's like it's just very funny uh, so when I, that that particular there's so many Prince songs that I like and so many like there are lots of Prince sex jams like International Lover on 1999 is another great one. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one particularly, it just makes me, as soon as I hear it, it makes me laugh because I just think, makes me think of like sort of what idea of like a sort of a 15-year-old Lothario I was. Or, 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 or I, didn't, I never ever thought I was, but just the fact that I would even think to put that song on to try and get somebody in the mood is hilarious to me. It's Yeah, it's a pretty varsity <laughs> level fuck jam. <laughs> It's, um, yeah. Oh, dear. And I do love the song, though. It's so great. And it just keeps building and building and going more over the top. Uh, it was co-written by Carol Davis. Um, her, so, uh, uh, she, who, who, she was like an actress and singer and all kinds of different things. Writer. She wrote some novels. Um, who was in a relationship with Prince for a little while. But she's probably most visible as uh, Andrew McCarthy's girlfriend in Mannequin. Oh, my God. Well, this is weird. Um, Mannequin is the first date movie I ever went to. And that came out in 1987. So I was 13 in 1987. And I took a girl, Sarah, if you're listening, hi, um, to see Mannequin. And it was a terrible, it was a terrible experience because we went there in the afternoon with the express idea of like snogging because we thought nobody would be there. <laughs> nobody would be watching Mannequin mm-hmm. during the summer holidays on a, like a Wednesday afternoon in well Somerset. But there were three other people in the cinema and they happened to be my friends from school. Mm. And so I completely like clammed up and just went like white as a sheet and didn't even put my arm around her and just listen. Because at that age, it's that funny thing, the difference between 13 and 15. At 15, like, everybody is trying to sort of, like, um, you know, date or have even have sex at that point. Um, but at 13, it's the thing where it's, it's you're still at the age where it's um, that strange paradox where if you said that you liked a girl, people would go, uh, gay. <laughs> um, so that was that kind of point. Mm-hmm. And so it was that thing is that I was on a date with Sarah Newton and that would have been scandal. Like this girl from the year below, right. we were watching Mannequin together. So I always like remember watching Mannequin in a state of cold sweat 
because I was there to like, and I'd kissed her once before. We had kissed on the way home before, so it wasn't like we hadn't kissed before. But we went as people do to the cinema to like just with the ex- explicit idea of snogging, and then and you didn't kiss. I her. didn't kiss Poor her because Sarah. these boys were behind me. I'm feeling and for then, this girl. I know. I remember like wh- who one of the three was. Stuart Curtis. You should, you know, like I, I, like, you know, I always blame you for what a terrible day that was. I think it was like Stuart Curtis, maybe his brother Martin Curtis, who's in a lot of my films later. I can't remember who the third person was. Either way, later that third summer, third person married to Sarah now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sarah, the, later that summer, we never had a second date. Sarah then sent me a letter saying, "I think we should break up." <laughs> So that's what I'm my first thought when I think of Mannequin. And even, especially when I hear the starship, no, nothing's going to stop us mm-hmm. now. I'm like, yeah, fuck Mannequin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really, it's pretty cold-hearted when they have to put it in writing. Um, my first song, so when I... Well, when you were minus 10... Yeah. <laughs> 1989. Hey, I, I told you. my So my thinking on this was pick songs from before yes, 89, yes. but also things that I would have put on oh, that's cool. when that's I was good. 15. Okay, yeah, I so yeah, okay. they all check out. I've done my research. <laughs> uh, my first song is If You Were Here by Thompson Twins. By the oh. Thompson Twins. So most of my mixes were included a lot of stuff recorded off of the TV. We had a cassette tape oh, set yeah. up, tape recorder set to the TV. So it was a lot of things from movies. Is this from Ferris Bueller? No, this is from 16 Candles. Oh, right. So the version on my mix is when I was 15 would have actually had the dialogue over it. Yes. Um, so this is the end. And so it would have, it comes later in it, but it would have included the um, happy birthday, Samantha, make a wish. It already came true. I used to do that too. I used to record songs off VHSs. And they would have bits of dialogue. So I made my own like American Wealth and London soundtrack, but it had bits of the... So Blue Moon would always be prefaced with Jenny Agatha crying. Going, <laughs> <laughs> so I just need those bits off my heart. That's quite a good impression of Jenny yeah, Agatha crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I don't really, you know what? Of all the John Hughes oeuvre, 16 Canos is the one I'm least familiar with. It's a, I think it's a sleeper for a lot of people. I mean, um, breakfast. Some kind of wonderful I'm not sli- uh, familiar with either. Oh, that was my runner up. Uh, some kind of wonderful. Ooh, that really gets me. I don't like the song as much. The end song from that was uh, 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 "Can't Help Falling in Love" by um, Lick the Tins. <laughs> Lick the Tins. Lick the Tins. It does sound like um, a made-up band that you. If yeah. you I mean, uh, you, you could have said that, and I would have gone, "Oh yes," and you, you could have lied to me, and I would have yeah. gone, "Yes, yes." It's Lick the by tins. Um, the <laughs> the Big Faces. Um, and but that but that moment that ending is so great, especially for the type of teen that I was, where he's got his he's got like the pretty classy girl, and then he's got the like rough drummer girl who's his best friend, and then at the end, spoiler everyone. Um, he realizes that the best friend is who he should have been with. And so she's walking down the street in her like tough outfit crying and he runs up after her and gives her the, the earrings that she helped him buy for the pretty girl. And, uh, and he's like, um, Oh, you look good wearing my future. Something like that. And then he was like, you knew these were for you. And she was like, I didn't know. I hoped I didn't know. Um, I know too many quotes from these movies. This uh, could well, get gross. I'm old enough to have seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off at the cinema. I saw that in 1986 or maybe 1987 when it came out. And I think I snuck in to see it. It was one, a movie, I think in the UK it was rated 15. I was definitely not old enough to get in there. But I remember getting into the film 
and it just blew my head off. And I don't think I saw it again for years because I saw it once and it was nerve-wracking enough to sneak in mm -hmm. when you were 13 into a 15 movie. But I remember there was another girl from school, Samantha, oh, I cannot remember her surname, but we were both in the same screening and so in, in school the next day we were like, oh my God. Like, we both couldn't believe how amazing Ferris Bueller was. Yeah. And so that one, Breakfast Club as well, although I saw that on TV, but Ferris Bueller particularly... Pretty in pink. Pretty in Pink, uh, yeah, I saw that one. I think so. Maybe some of the, uh, yeah, the John Hughes ones that really like sort of stuck with me um, were like Ferris Bueller, um, Breakfast Club, and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. <laughs> I guess the sort of, I mean, I remember seeing um, Pretty in Pink, and but those ones that that and Sixteen Candles didn't sort of um, resonate with me as much as Ferris Bueller as you might imagine. I mean, Sixteen Candles, I really like there there's a lot of problematic stuff in it now um there's uh yeah long dong duck yeah <laughs> long, long duck dong but then also long duck dong sorry also there's like a sexual assault um that at the time oh i think we didn't uh identify as that um but i i really like molly ringwald's performance in it and the the type of character that she is um and this and the moment at the ending is just so nice that she, the, her little storyline is that every no one has been thinking about her the whole movie. It's been her birthday. Her family has been thinking about her. No one's been thinking about her. And there's this one guy that she thinks about so much. And then at the end, she finds out that he has been thinking about her too. And it's just sort of like, oh, yay. You know, that's a very simplistic no, it's, uh, description I, of it. Yeah. yeah. But I love it. <laughs> you want to go to your next one? Sure. Okay. What did I? Oh, what did I know? Let me, to, no, no, don't tell me. I remember because right, I was listening right. to it on the way in. Okay. I think the second one. Oh, it's Angelized yes, by Roxy Music. Oh, yes. Ah, oh, I love this so much. Like disco, sort of space age disco jam <laughs> from 1979. <laughs> I love this song. I mean, I'm a big Roxy Music fan, and I always get annoyed when there's kind of hipsters who sort of say that Roxy Music didn't do anything good after the first two albums that Brian Eno produced which is frankly bullshit. Um, my favorite Roxy Music album is Stranded, which is the one after Brian Eno left. And this is on one of the later albums, Manifesto. Mm -hmm. And it was originally recorded in a sort of more rocky style. And then they re-recorded it as a disco song. But it's got such, yeah. it's got great sax by Andy McKay. And also that like the guitar lines are really, I don't know. This is the kind of sort of song that would make me think about like that it was happening in deep space. And also, if you've never seen the video for this, I highly recommend watching the Angel Eyes video because it's fantastic document of the time. But I, I was a bit, I'm still a big Roxy Music fan. They were one of those bands that, um, uh, like Bowie and T-Rex, always just seemed to exist on a different plane of cool. Mm -hmm. And um, Yeah, they didn't really break through much over here. From what I have read. Not in the same way. You don't hear people talk about them in, in the same breath as like Bowie. But in the UK, I think, you know, Roxy Music and, and, uh, and you know, Bowie are around the sort of same time. Like the, I mean, Roxy Music are the ultimate art rock band. Hmm. They're like an art college band. And they also, they always like um, dress slightly out of time. Um, all of their kind of covers are incredibly arty, just the amount of work they put into the packaging. They always had this thing where they have, would have, every album would have like a model on the cover. Most famously, um, Jerry Hall is on the cover of Siren and she was dating sort of Brian Ferry at the time. Jerry Hall, who was dated 
Brian Ferry, Mick Jagger, and now Rupert Murdoch, which I think is a real come down. I know he's got lots of money, <laughs> but that's a long way to fall down. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I can understand I'm not the a fan appeal. Of what he spends his money on. No. <laughs> um, but also, um, well, there's something else about Roxy Music. Uh, I was going to say. Was this something that you found on your own, or was everywhere, or was from your parents' collection, or what? My parents did not have a Roxy Music album, but. Uh, I think it was like there were lots of things that, uh, you know, I would watch Top of the Pops and I would be aware of these bands. And I think actually I had, they used to give away these albums, um, you would get these mail order albums from like Ronco or like there was something to do with, um, uh, they were like sort of promotional albums. And there was one that I had, it was like an album of like chart hits and it had Sparks on it and Roxy Music, had Dance Away by Roxy Music. So I liked that because it was really catchy. And so I think through that and then like seeing some of the older stuff, like if you see, if you look up like Roxy Music on, on YouTube, like their old grey whistle test performances where like Virginia Plain or Do The Strand, they just look amazing. They're so, um, and also his solo stuff is good as well. Like, you know, you probably know Let's Stick Together by Brian Ferry. But they also didn't do that too many albums. There's, I think there's maybe like eight maximum mm-hmm. and... There's only like one or two Duff ones. Most of them are like really great. Yeah, their big hit here was more than this. Yeah, and that was their last album. And then they never recorded again. Avalon was the final album. And and Avalon is good. And it's definitely like the sort of uber 80s album. It's also kind of like, I think, sort of it's like brunch music. (laughs) It's like the ultimate. (laughs) I just think it's that kind of thing that back in the day, you imagine that you would have had. easy listening? Not easy listening, but more like if you were super fancy and you had like a, you know, like a Docklands apartment. And you'd be making perfect coffee and you'd, you know, sort of like waking up with somebody on a Sunday morning. You put Avalon on and like sit there and like read the papers hmm. uh, in 1983. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very specific kind of brunch. That's <laughs> what it conjures up to me. But it is good. It's a good album. But that's uh, to, to a lot of people is that's kind of like sort of, I mean, if you look at the, um, the video uh, for, it's amazing to have your biggest album and then quit. And then they never, they toured again together, but they never recorded another album. And I think they were supposed to, there's some footage of them trying to record again with Brian Eno, who hadn't been in the band since the first two albums, but they never released another album. Hmm. Um, but if you look at the video, some of the videos, it's just the height of like Chic. And funny enough, this is absolutely true. This is another thing. Chic, the band, um, they were inspired by Roxy Music because hmm. when Nile Rodgers and... Um, Ah, what's the guy's name? I think it's like Bernard Edwards. Yeah, the mm-hmm. bassist. Now Rogers and Bernard Edwards were touring the UK in like a different sort of funk outfit and they saw Roxy Music live and they saw Roxy Music in their like tuxedos, like performing like Love is, Love is the Drug era, Siren, which is the one that has Jerry Hall on the cover. And they were like, we should do something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they went back to New York and they formed Chic. So Chic was their attempt their, their fake to French do like, disco band. Yeah, to do like mm-hmm. sort of a disco Roxy music. Yeah. Fun fact, uh, Nile Rodgers produced uh, Carol Davis's first album, the one who, she was the one who co-wrote uh. Um, uh, Slow Love. So Mannequins Carol Davis. Yes, Mannequins Mannequin. Carol Fuck Davis. Fuck you, Stuart Curtis. <laughs> um, cool. My next choice um, is Cherish by Madonna. Oh, now you're talking about language. <laughs> From Like a Prayer, 1989. I warned you this might be here. Just uh, for the record, Edgar has got all misty-eyed at this point. (laughs) 
This, um, I think uh, uh, you're trying to push my buttons now because I think this How is am like I trying to no, push no, your no, no. I like. I've, I think we've had this conversation before, <laughs> but like sort of. And again, I'm not going to get into a TMI thing, but like sort of for you know for a teenager of that time, Madonna <laughs> videos were very much formative experiences, mm-hmm. and I could rattle off a list of my favorite sexy Madonna videos. <clears throat> Open your heart. That was, number that was one. my, uh, my, my <laughs> runner-up. Oh yeah, open your heart, be number one. Cherish, I mean, I remember when this video came out, I was like, holy God, like Madonna looks so sexy, frolicking around in the waves, Herbert's directing, mm-hmm. in black and white wearing this, this like, first one. tight black dress, like frolicking in the waves with all these mermen. Mm-hmm. Too sexy. Way sexier than the song. <laughs> too sexy. Too sexy. The song itself <laughs> is not quite... Have been allowed. The, the song itself is like quite a sweet confection mm-hmm. and it's very poppy. But the video is like this the video is way sexier than the song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I immediately like start blushing when Cherish comes up. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> um yeah, I I loved this song. Um and De- probably, as I said, Open Your Heart would have been on the actual mixes because I was a big True Blue fan and oh, yeah. uh, had had that on vinyl. Um, and I had I just I think I just had this from the Immaculate Collection. But uh, I do remember going to karaoke. I was a big karaoke fan. I had a fake ID when I was a teenager so I could get into the adult karaoke nights. Oh. Not drink, just wanted to be able to go sing karaoke. And I remember trying to sing Cherish, and instead the Cool in the Gang version came up. Oh. And I, it was like one of those teen moments that mortified me, standing in front of a room full of grown-ups, being like, I don't know this song. This isn't the right Cherish. Um, but anyway. How um, does Cherish by Cool in the Gang go? Cher- <clears throat> Cherish the love. Oh no, baby! I don't like it. I, I know that song. I don't like it. Yeah, me neither. And I didn't want to karaoke it. But this was her. Cherish the love. Oh, look at you! Cherish the love. <laughs> um, so this is the first video directed by Herb Ritz, who also directed uh, Love Will Never Do, Keep It in the Closet, Wicked Game. Wicked Game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think my he DP, likes sexy black and white beach videos. Is. My DP, um, Bill Pope, who did my last three movies, mm-hmm. um, he shot the video for Wicked Game. I'm not sure if he did the Herberts one off. I can find out. I mean, that's the, Let me text him. That's the one. <laughs> like, it, it, this is the best text ever, Bill. Did you <laughs> shoot? Because there were two versions of the Wicked really? Game video. Yes, there were. Wow, I feel like this one is so iconic. Yeah, I... Uh, I, I, I like that this is kind of sweet. I like that aspect of Cherish. We're talking about Cherish yes. again. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I, I just I love Madonna, especially then. When I was a kid, I was watching these videos, like, taking notes, like, okay, that's sexy ladies. That's what sexy ladies do. Got it. All right. That's how I want to be. And then later it was like, mm, yeah, maybe not. Uh, maybe read books. Um, but you can be both a sexy lady and read books. <laughs> <sighs> My um, Bill Pope's wife, my DP, his wife uh, produced many videos back in the 80s and 90s, including Like a Prayer. Really? Yeah, she produced a bunch of Madonna videos. She also produced um, Material Girl. Bill Pope shot the Material Girl video. Wow. Which is amazing. Yeah. Directed by Mary Lambert. Probably, maybe the most iconic? I don't know. Maybe. Like a virgin. Vogue. Yeah, you're true. You're right. I mean, Material Girl is an amazing video. Vogue is like, to me, is like the Madonna video. Yeah. That's, you, a, that's a great song. What are you looking at? I think at? that might be, I think those ones around that time, like sort of, um, that was the thing is that Madonna would be one of those artists that I I really liked. I'm not sure I had any of the albums, but I knew all of the singles and mm-hmm. especially some of the ones like Express Yourself, Vogue, um, also like later like Erotic, Erotica. 
Mm-hmm. Erotic, erotic. <laughs> A weird rhyme. Erotic, erotic. Put your hands, hands over my body. body. Doesn't quite work. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, there used to be this comedian in um, the UK called Bill Oddie. Um, who was in a troupe called The Goodies, and mm-hmm. Matt Lucas from Little Britain used to have a joke where he'd sing, Bill Oddie, Bill Oddie, put your hands all over my body. <laughs> <laughs> Which would at least make sense. Um, it, it, better rhyme. Um, what else is there? Okay. Want to do your next one? Sure, if you finish Googling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. don't know if I got any relevant text come through. Um, well, my next one, I think, is, um, is it The Pixies? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, here we go. Bill Pope responds, nope. But Sharon <laughs> wrote the concept and produced it. Mm. Rolf Kesterman shot it. What time is the mill thingy tomorrow? That's something else. Um, <laughs> so, um, this next one is the Pixies. And like, I think around this time, like I was saying, I was listening to most of the artists that I was listening to were older. Beatles, Stones, Kinks, Bowie, Roxy Music, T-Rex, um, Sparks. Um, and, um, but... Uh, you know the the current the sort of current bands that I liked were like sort of like Prince and REM and NXS, and I think around this time through like a, a guy that used to um, I did wasn't I wasn't I wouldn't say I was hip enough to be into like w- what you would call alt alt rock or whatever, but we would call indie music in the UK. It would be would, like how do you know what I would call music? it? Oh yeah, I could okay. call it indie music. We specifically called it indie music because there used to be my first introduction to indie music was because there was this show on a Saturday morning called The Chart Show, which was mostly like the top 40. And then every other week, it would have a different specialist top 10. And so on this show on network TV on a Saturday morning, it would have like sometimes every like maybe every once every month, it would have the indie top 10. And I used to watch the show religiously. And when it came to the indie top 10, my first sort of reaction to a lot of it was was sort of shock and bemusement. I didn't really understand what I was looking at and listening to. <laughs> and that would be bands like The Fall and The Sugar Cubes and uh, and The Pixies. And I remember like seeing, like it seemed like number one for like a year on the indie chart was Monkey Gone to Heaven. I'd be like, what mm-hmm. the hell is this? And then later, like a friend at uh, the supermarket I used to work at, Summerfields, also called Gateway. It was Gateway, then it became Summerfields. This guy called Julian Thorne, who was like in my brother's year, he was into David Bowie. So he was always like, he was lending me tapes, or he'd make like sort of, he'd tape like a David Bowie amp for me. So it like I didn't have like Lodger, and he would like tape Lodger for me. And then what he'd do, it was very sweet. It's like he's making me little mixtapes. He would put extra songs at the end. So it would have like a Bowie, you know, because when you have those C90s and you got like, mm-hmm. if you do it both sides and then it's always like there's room to put extra stuff on. So mm-hmm. it'd be the whole of this Bowie album and then like an Iggy Pop song and a Pixie song. So I sort of got into the Pixies through that and I really um, loved Doolittle and Suffer uh, Rosa at that time. And then this song is like an atypical Pixie song because it's like as close as they come to like, you know, it's not really a... Well, it is kind of like a sex jam because it does incl- con- uh, contain the lyrics. And again, again, in this way of playing these songs to sort of try and sort of like conjure up an, <laughs> an atmosphere of snogging, as we call it in the UK. Mm-hmm. It does have the lyric, first bass, second bass, third bass, home run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, this is La La Love You. La La Love You by Pixies. <laughs> by the Pixies. Sung by Dave Lovering, the drummer. You're a great guest. Uh, I have no, like, everything that I look up, you already know. Everybody else, I'm like, oh, this is sung by the drummer. They're like, what? Do you already know everything about all these songs? 
Um, and do you want me to go? Yeah, can you leave? <laughs> I want someone less informed to to do this podcast. No, I love it. Um, yeah, that. Uh, 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 the thing that you were saying about finding extra songs from these mixtapes, I did that with um, VHS. Yeah. We would have VHS tapes that would get recorded over and over and over and over. So there would be like little bits of old things when I finished watching the thing that I meant to watch. Oh, yeah. And you have that kind of long bit of shash of like the sort of the, you know, coming down and like, and then there's something else underneath mm-hmm. buried. Mm-hmm. My brother used to have this tape. I'm going to embarrass my brother now. He used to have this tape where he'd sort of taped sexy things off the TV from late night. <laughs> and it all used to be like that, where I found this tape, and it was like the mother load, because he'd sort of taped all these bits of things, like films and TV shows. There were bits of this show called Manhattan Cable, which was from bits of public access TV in the, in the, in the States, and also bits from Hammer Horror Films, usually like sexy bits from Hammer Horror Films. But this is endless compilation of these bits. I remember I found it and took it and watched it and didn't tell him. <laughs> And then the next time I went to look for it in the place where it was, it had gone. Mm. And we never spoke about it. It was <laughs> like he knew that I had found it and then he hid it somewhere better. Or got rid of it. I don't know what happened to it, but I could never find that Definitely hid ev- it someplace better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no, it's, that's not Maybe. enough to get rid of it. Oscar, if you're listening, if you still have it, like, let's just share it. Let's just, like, there's, <laughs> no, there's nothing, there's no shame in like you, you having this amazing sort of compilation. Yeah, it's, it's what everybody wants. Um, it was what it was also done was like where brilliantly he'd edited bits of this um, film to take out the boring bits. So there's this hammer <laughs> so horror just film boob with to Oliver. Boob to boob. Yes, there's <laughs> this hammer horror film called The Curse of the Werewolf with Oliver Reed, and the opening sequence features a very bosomy um, actress, and he basically cut out any shot that wasn't her. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this like amazing. The move of a psychopath. <laughs> I have since, <laughs> this was funny, I saw that movie on Blu-ray and maybe I was thinking, mm, I might buy this one. <laughs> I have a friend who did that with photos uh, where he'd like just cut out the boobs and had like a wall of boobs behind that the poster. That sounds creepier to me. Well, I mean, it's in the same I world. I mean, that's in the Jeffrey Dahmer world. That yeah. Is. He's, like, he's grown up, like headless women. He's grown up to a nice, to be a nice human being. Um, but yeah, that's a, <laughs> kids are so <laughs> creepy and weird about <laughs> figuring out the, their sex monster stuff. Um, I was a... I mean... I, I gotta give my brother credit. If you're trying to whack off to something, you don't wanna be looking at Oliver Reed. Well, but also, it, yes, but uh, if you're you. Um, but if I you're mean, a, yeah, no, yes, I mean, yes. If you're a teenager, I feel like you don't really have to try. It's <laughs> just, just whatever. Um, sorry, teens. I don't mean to diminish your experience. Um, I was a, young Oliver Reed was very handsome. Hey, there you go. I was a very, I was a, uh, hey, book-based sex monster where there were like <laughs> passages of books that I would be like oh yeah that the, that's that's the stuff uh, I was like that but with Stephen King books that's what I was gonna say yeah. there were Stephen King books Stephen which King books I didn't mention because I think now. maybe that's too creepy no it's, but I mean, they but were all Stephen King books the thing is the most I'm sure probably exactly the same experience is that the first time I ever read a sex scene was in a Stephen King book mm-hmm. and then it would always be they got murdered right afterwards yeah like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. like a good example would be from I think it's from Skeleton Crew, the short story book. Where the, they're on a raft. The raft, yes. <laughs> and it has this amazing sex scene, and also like as a sort of teenager, like reading the sex scene mm-hmm. and sort of learning how to have sex from a Stephen King mm-hmm. book. It's like, oh, so that's where you put it, and that's what it feels like. 
and this is, sounds great apart from when the oil monster comes up from the <laughs> and, lake yeah. and dissolves their flesh and pulls them That's down between the planks. That's punishment for having sex. Yes. You never should have had sex. Yes. Then you wouldn't have gotten murdered by a monster. That's I mean, that's the lesson from Halloween, 1978. Mm-hmm. It's a message from, you know, all horror movies you know, traditionally. You know where we are recording right now across the street is the Halloween houses. No. Orange Grove between mm. Hollywood and Sunset is the last half an hour of Halloween. It's, mm. the, it's the house where Jamie Lee Curtis is babysitting and it's the house where like PJ souls um, and gets killed at like, like literally five minutes walk away. And they look exactly like they did in 1978. As you drive around L.A., are you constantly uh, clocking how far away different... Uh, That's just something I come up with to impress are. girls. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I feel like you it know it all works of better. It doesn't work in like the mid-afternoon. It works better at night saying, hey, you like the movie Halloween? Check this out. <laughs> really? Good to know. I'll see if it works on guys. Um, next song is mine. Um, following up the uh, the the uh, uh, theme of drummer songs, this is After Hours by the Velvet Underground. Mm. If you close the door, the night could last forever. Leave the sun shine out and say hello to never. All the people sung by the drummer, Maureen Tucker. Now, did you pick this as a sort of... the? this is a yin-yang to the Pixies one. Did you do that deliberately, or was it just kismet? No, yeah, I did that. Oh, okay. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also exactly the kind of sweet song that you would put on a, like, I like you mix. It's not... You yeah. know, obviously, yeah, you're not going to put Venus and Furs on, like, sort of... Well, you might do. Hmm. I mean, maybe that's a bit more advanced, Venus and Furs, as a make-out song. Um, but like when, when you're 15, it's kind of like, sort of, oh, this is cute. It's kind of like sort of something like Blister in the Sun by Violent Femmes. It's like, yeah. this is a cute indie jam. It's a cute indie jam. And for me, the, these would be like a tape I would give. And then he, I, he would, I assume, drive around with it, listen to it in those little headphones. So it wasn't all like fuck jams in no. my mind. Um, more like, I want you to think of me. And think, think of me sweetly. But you wouldn't put like European Sun by Velvet Underground on there because they'd be no. like, no, stay yeah. away from her. She's yeah. trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, my runner up for this one was um, Dream a Little Dream by Mama Cass, uh, Mamas and the Papas. I liked a little like uh, sweet thing in the middle of it. <laughs> a little bit of sweetness. Also, these What Ringo actually, song would you go for? Um, uh, 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 um, I can't think of the right one for this theme, but probably they're going to put me in the movies. I don't know. What's the one, um, Boys? That's Ringo Starr singing, isn't it? Mm. I talk about boys, uh, yeah, boys. That's mm-hmm. Ringo Starr, I mm. think. Um, what was it? Oh, yeah, but honestly, I probably would have followed it with uh, Beth by Kiss. Oh, I don't like that one. It's not good. It's not good. But I, at that age, was like, did you know that Kiss did a song like this? You sh- I should have it on this mix. You should, you was, should hear it. I was reading we're a- all like educating each other in this obnoxious way as high schoolers who are into, or teenagers who are into music. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When, didn't when the rest of Kiss like annoyed with that song? I'm sure. I think they the were Kiss. Because um, it was written by Peter Chris, the drummer, right? Yeah. And-, and then the rest of and it was their biggest hit by far, and the rest of the band was, was like pissed off. Yeah. I think More it was than like, Detroit Rock City. I think it was the biggest hit they ever had in the singles. Yeah, I mean, it pays to have a song that you can make out to, that, that your girlfriend's <laughs> gonna like. 
it, it helps your band. Um, it's weird. Kiss weren't really that big in the UK, or not when I was growing up, until... Yeah, because they're scary. I get it. No, but, like, I mean, I think we had our own, like, sort of people in, like, makeup and stuff, you know, and also we had our own whole plethora of glam rock acts. Mm-hmm. But strangely enough, a song that was a massive hit in the UK, and I think less of a hit here, was Crazy Crazy Nights, which was, like, Kiss Without Makeup in their, like, sort of late 80s phase... Like the like the God gave rock and roll to us phase. A little bit before that. That's in Bill and Ted, isn't it? Yeah, like cover, cover. Argent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> good, good song. Um, no, Crazy Crazy Nights is uh, I think sort of a late like maybe nineteen eighty seven, and it was like a top two hit for Kiss, but it's also Kiss without makeup. So what's so the point? It was well. That was the thing. It's like you know. Although I gotta Did say, they have the platform shoes at least. Like what? No, it was definitely yeah. like Kiss um, three piece suits. I remember, like, what's the lead singer's name? Paul Stanley, is that the guy? Uh, he's one, yeah, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, I guess. So, Paul Stanley, I remember that video, he definitely had, like, the Sybil Shepherd filter going on. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? When his close-up is a lot more Vaseline than everybody yeah. else. It's like, oh, this is like, you know those kind of 80s concert video um, videos where it's, like, concert footage, and whenever they'd have a reverse shot and there's the kind of screaming fans and they're at, like, the Staples Center or wherever, if the Staples Center existed in San Diego, I don't know. But wherever they were, they're in some stadium. And then the reverse shots on the band, they're all done earlier and they're all, like, prettified and they've got, like, beautiful backlighting. Like, any of those... things? Yeah, any of those, like, sort of, like, live um, uh, videos of that era... I don't remember I mean, much... some video... Like, Def Leppard, particularly, or, like, uh, Kiss. I mean, if you look at the video for Crazy Crazy Nights... I seem to remember it's like done as live and yet they're so beautifully hmm. lit. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I don't remember. I feel like most of the concert footage and concert videos I can think of, the band looks like they're melting. <laughs> they're like wet and disgusting um, and it's honest. Although I guess Sign of the Times, the, that was, oh. was that even a concert? I assume there I was an was audience shot, there. It wasn't it know. shot at Paisley Park in Parts the studios? Of it. it was shot like a bunch of different places. I mean, that... Um, I was watching part of that again because it's not been officially re-released, but somebody had a copy of it. And, I mean, that actually would have been... I already went for Slow Love. I mean, my probably my follow-up Slow one... Slow Love is on it. Oh, yeah, but I mean, my other song that I would have picked from there would have been You Got the Look, which is still, like... If talking about sexy videos in the in the vein of Cherish, Sheena Easton and You Got the Look is just, like, too sexy. <laughs> like, I'm covering my eyeballs at the moment. <laughs> Because I can't handle how sexy Sheena Easton is in the You Got the Look video. Mm-hmm. Which in the movie is way longer. And it's like a longer version that's not on the album. But that, that song particularly... It's funny, well, after Prince died, I went on a, like, a big tear of listening to him just round the clock. And um, You Got the Look was a particular favourite. Um, especially for that, um, there's one verse where... I think it's the call and response bit, or like... Um, when the prince says, closing time, ugly lights, everybody's, what is it? Uh, everybody's <laughs> inspected. That's it. Closing time, ugly lights, everybody's inspected. But you are a natural beauty unaffected. It's an amazing bit of lyrics. <laughs> I have a terrible prince story. This is so sad. Oh. And like, I'm, I'm not even going to need to finish this anecdote because you're going to go, no. Is when I was filming Baby Driver. It's like April, like 2016, and I'm filming Baby Driver in the middle of a big action scene, and we got three, done three days of this action scene, and the next the next day is the last day. And in the mid afternoon, Aza Gonzalez, who plays Darling, comes up to me and says, "Hey, it's your birthday next week, isn't it?" I said, "Yeah." She goes, "Well, I got you a ticket for Prince tonight if you want to come as a birthday present." And I was like, "Oh, great! Um, 
what time? She goes, it's the late show, though. And I said, well, what time is that? She said, 10.30. There's one at 6.30, one at 10.30. I've got tickets for the 10.31. And I'm immediately thinking, oh, i got to get up at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> so I was like, ah, let me have a think about it. And I'll, 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 I'll text you. I'm just going to like wrap up, you know, finish this scene. So I, go, I get in my car. I'm on my way home. I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to get to a 10.30 show. I text her say, hey, thanks so much for um, thinking of me, but I'm not going to make it. Have fun. I missed Prince's last show ever. And so, so, uh, so the other part of it is—I mean, the only thing that made me not like slip my wrists and uh, and is the fact I had seen him live once before. I saw him on the Diamonds and Pearls tour, so I did see him live in my lifetime. But fact, fans at Prince's last gig ever in attendance: Asa Gonzalez, John Hamm, and Celeste Court. Wow! <laughs> they all went to the show, like sort of, and then like two days, two or three days later, he was dead. It was unbelievable. <laughs> um. And then that's like the lamest anecdote ever is that I was not at Prince's last show. Well, I mean, it's not the, it's sad. And uh, I'm selfishly focusing on myself and taking away that you still have one Prince show on me. I never got to see him. I um, saw him at the Earl's Court um, 1992 and in support was Carmen Electra. Oh, makes sense. She did a solo album for him. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think I don't remember like really too much about. I mean, I f- I don't want to say she was miming, but it definitely f- didn't. F- I mean, it de- definitely did not win the crowd over. Um, <laughs> they were like, blah blah blah. Get to Prince. Get to Prince. Yeah. My first three concerts. Get this. This is true. First three concerts. Number one, 1990, David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Number two, Prince, London Earl's Court. Number three, Spinal Tap at the Royal Albert Hall. What? Seriously, with the Folksmen supporting. This is an amazing. Seriously. So after that, did was it only one hit wonders? No, number four is where it kind of the call goes down rapidly. Mm-hmm. David Lee Roth solo, which is not as cool I don't as think like that's going down. I mean, it's still pretty cool. I think that's very cool. Well, I saw David and Lee super Roth. Super fun. David Lee Roth in his um, it was supporting his album. I think it's called um, uh, Just a Jiggle. No, not that one. Later, like a little ain't enough. That album. He performed in a boxing ring. So it was a boxing ring and he was in the middle of it. In support were Warrant with their hit Cherry Pie. That's amazing. Okay, so it is a good concert. (laughs) The other thing that was amazing about it was, (laughs) have you ever had this experience? And this isn't something that usually like American bands, like if you're playing like in Chicago and you come on stage and you go, hello, Chicago. Mm -hmm. In the UK, people are not as proud of their hometowns. (laughs) And the thing is, is that there was a, a town near where I grew up in Somerset called Shepton Mallet. And it had a showground, the Royal Bath and West Showground, where they would sometimes have concerts. But Shepton Mallet is that kind of place where it would be that, the butt of all jokes. You know, all of those jokes that people have about, like, incest or thick people mm-hmm. or, like, sort of, that would always, where you could just change the name of, so it would be like, why wasn't Jesus born in Shepton Mallet? Because they couldn't find three wise men and a virgin. That kind of joke where mm-hmm. you sort of insert name of town here. Mm-hmm. So then imagine David Lee Roth comes on stage and goes, Hello, Shepton Mallet, <laughs> are you ready to rock? I'm like, so sad. Tumble, tumbleweeds. <laughs> like, because nobody in the audience would admit to being from Shepton Mallet. So me and my friends are all like, cross our arms. Town. Like, We're from a different town. We're from Shepton Mallet. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, same I, thing. Same thing as like David Bowie, Milton Keynes. Where he was playing Milton Keynes Bowl, which is another town which, like, is a big town, but nobody would admit to coming from there. It's, like, sort of famously soulless new town, Milton Keynes. 
And weirdly, when David Bowie performed, he seemed very confused because he was playing Ziggy Stardust. He also told an outright lie in 1990 that he was retiring all of his back catalogue, <laughs> which was not to be the case. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's playing Ziggy Stardust and he goes, he goes, last time in London for this one. I was thinking, London? <laughs> but then my yeah, friend... He's got stuff to think about. My friend Bill Bailey, who's... Um, a great comedian mm-hmm. in the UK, yep. one of the best musical comedians of all time. He's amazing. He, I told him my story about Shepton Mallet, and he had a very similar story. He'd gone to see Marilyn Manson and Milton Keynes. And Marilyn Manson, again, like comes to the city, does not get the memo on, like, mm, people don't really like Milton Keynes. <laughs> even the people, people are either traveling to here to see the show, or even if they are from Milton Keynes, they're not going to admit to being from Milton Keynes. So, of course, Marilyn Manson does not get that memo and does a whole thing where he... He turns the name of the place into a riff, so he's going, Melter Keynes, Melter Keynes, Melter Keynes, Melter Keynes, to tumbleweeds. <laughs> um, so I always find that funny. It's like, it's just that thing of like, that's my main memory of David Lee Roth about the show. I remember like, I don't really remember much of his show apart from it was a boxing ring and they were like, what do you call like the... Point- ring girls? Re- uh, ring girls, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. They were ring girls and also the warrant saying cherry pie. And the David Lee Roth went, hello. Captain Mallet. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Aerosmith play a private show for a um, for for like this corporate gig I was doing. It was some um, software company, and they did the same thing where they were like, "What's up, SAP?" And all of the <laughs> all the employees were like, uh, "Like they did." They were all in their button down shirts. They were not aware that they were supposed to go nuts. And then he still got on a rope and swung out over this very bored crowd that were all standing next to their bosses and trying to be very. Very good yeah, employees. I, I'm jealous of you because I, I actually, I'm not even a closet Aerosmith fan. I'm an Aerosmith fan. I like a lot of that, especially their like early great. stuff is fucking great. Oh, I've yeah. never seen them live. Never seen them live. Well, I saw them live the wrong way. It's <laughs> not the way to see them. Um, the first song that my band learned was, uh, um, there goes my own girlfriend, there's another diamond ring. Says they don't mean anything. Um, so baby, what's the story? Tell me what it takes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tell me what it takes to let you go. You know, Aerosmith would be another band that both me and uh, Christy, my first proper girlfriend, would have agreed on. And probably also on this mixtape, I could have easily put like um, Ragdoll or Dude Looks <laughs> mm-hmm. Like a Lady, which my brother thought was called Do the Dragon Lady. That's uh, a, that sounds like a great do song. Do the Dragon Lady. Uh-huh. <laughs> do it. I mean, it works. Um, <laughs> Ragdoll, Permanent Vacation, um, oh, what were the other ones? Yeah, anything from like Sweet Permanent emotion. Vacation or Sweet Emotion. Oh, the best. The original version of Walk This Way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I used to also have um, the Aerosmith uh, like Greatest Hits. The early one is really good with like that cover of Remember Walking in the Sand. It's yeah, fantastic. They, have, they had released a Greatest Hits like before half of the songs that people even know of yes. as Aerosmith songs. Oh, and they've it's been great. a band for so long. One of my favorite quotes from... Last Child. It's a great song. One of my favorite quotes uh, from Steven Tyler was he was asked, uh, out of all the bands that were part of the Sunset Strip scene when you were when you guys were gigging here, you guys were the ones that became famous. Wh- why? Why do you think it was you? And he was like, we stuck around the longest. And I was like, hmm, all right, stick around. That's that's the key to everything. Just be tenacious. Um. Yeah, no, I, 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 I've, I've never seen them live. I still, I, I, talking of corporate gigs though, I know exactly what you mean. I saw like, well, this wasn't really a corporate gig, but South Park had like a 15th anniversary party and they booked Duran Duran to play. And it was that place in Santa Monica, Barker Hangout. 
and it wasn't like that bit. I mean, it was busy, but it wasn't like super busy. Mm-hmm. And so me and my friend, like Duran Duran playing, I was thinking, I'd never seen Duran Duran before and I didn't have any of their albums. But in the course of that concert, I realized I knew every single lyric. And yeah. I st- stood at the front because Screaming I could. Screaming New Moon on Monday. Just like in front of John Taylor, just singing along with Planet Earth and having the best time of my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't you do your next song? Um, oh, so my next one might be, I mean, I think if you're trying to put this on to like a make-out mix, this is another like sort of formidable, enormous, epic... Um, you can't hide your feelings. Sex jam. Yeah. Uh, Get Down, Make Love by Queen. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Now, this one is from News of the World. And uh, I, lo- I mean, I love this song because it has like the biggest chorus. It's, I guess, probably because it was a bit too rude. It was never a single. But I don't know why this wasn't a single because it has one of the great Queen choruses. And it's written by Freddie Mercury... And it's um, a little bit, you don't really, Queen don't really write about sex that often. So this is like an atypical Queen song. I was about to say, I wonder if maybe that's why, part of why it didn't become. It's probably just a little bit too rude for radio. I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward in being about sex. And it's, it feels more rocky than a lot of their singles. Can we, can we keep going until the chorus kicks in? Sure. Because I actually, this is how dorky, this is exactly the kind of thing I would have done when I was 15. I did this on the way here, listening to the song is I turned up the volume when the chorus came on. I'm sure, do you do that? Yeah. Okay, well, I did that like several times in the last like 24 hours. It's like every time it would come to the chorus, I would like whack up. So what I want you to do is just turn it up. I'll tell you, just turn it up a little bit. Come at any second now. Ready? Oh, not yet. Down. Now go for it. Go. It's so good. Amazing. Now here's Freddie's sex noises. <laughs> Have uh, you ever made that noise? <laughs> um, I, I don't think that this this audience has any right to know if I've made that noise. Um, that was one. Of, that was one of the get down noises, not the make love noises. Oh, okay. Well, the, I mean, what's the uh, difference, really? that's a make love noise, but. This is like a get down noise. Uh, I love that you're directing my podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you just can't help yourself. From this, Did we say that this was off of News of the World in 1977? Yes. Good am. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a huge Queen fan. I think that's probably on record having now used them in three of my movies. Um, and uh, I, I, I mean, I probably, if you asked me when I was like 15, who's my favorite band, I would have said Queen. Mm-hmm. It's still one of my favorite bands, but they were one of those bands that I just, along with Bowie and stuff, I would just like buy, like try and get every album. I couldn't afford to buy them all. I don't think I, I'm not sure I owned any of them. Maybe I had a copy of Kind of Magic on audio cassette, mm-hmm. but the rest of them I'd, I, you know, go to the library and tape them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, later, obviously, I would like get them all. But like, um, this is, this is a, you know, I mean, this astonishing kind of output. They also have some kind of record where I think, Every member of the band has uh, written like a top three hit or or number one or number two. Every member of the wow. band, because obviously Brian May and Freddie Mercury have written a mm-hmm. bunch of them, but then uh, John Deacon, the bassist, wrote another one, "Bites the Dust," mm-hmm. and Roger Taylor, the drummer, wrote "Radio Gaga," mm-hmm. among others. So they're one of the few bands where every single member of the band has written one of the big hits. Fact hmm. um, th- fans. Mm. I saw them at the Hollywood Bowl this last year with Adam Lambert. How was that? 
it was good. Except then they showed a clip of Freddie Mercury, and I feel like all of us were like, oh, well, now it's ruined. <laughs> we were enjoying it, and now you, you showed us this. Um, it was also the, the night that your movie came out, and I felt like that was an okay reason to not That's see okay. it the first night. Yeah, I, uh, I have never seen them live because I, um, I never saw them at the time. And in fact, I mean, Freddie stopped touring in 1986, I think, when they did that, um, those big Wembley shows. Those were the last shows. Um, uh, I remember watching them on Live Aid, and uh, yeah, I mean, what's f- I? I finally met um, at, at just this Christmas. I went to the London opening of Hamilton, and sitting in front of me was Brian May, and I felt very confident to go up to him because he had tweeted about how much he loved Baby Driver, and in fact, the song, the Queen song that's in Baby Driver, Brighton Rock, is a Brian May composition and features his best guitar solo. So I. Normally, I would be too starstruck to actually go up and say anything. And also, you don't want to be in that situation where, you know, how many times has Brian May heard, like, oh, I'm a huge fan of the band. <laughs> but I could just go up to him and say, hey, Brian, I'm Edgar, I don't have to forever. So that was fantastic. And then we, like, talked for, like, a long time. And we've been emailing each other since. And he sent me, I sent, this is absolutely true. I was, I, this is not, like, a personal thing. I just think this is a, a great thing to share. But I sent him a copy of the album. You know, because it has Brian mm-hmm. Rock on it. So I sent him a copy of the album and I, I, I signed it personally to Brian. And um, I, I think it was like, thank you for putting the the the, the rock in Baby Driver or something like that. In a rock and inverted commas. But then he, and he sent me as a, a, a Queen Monopoly set. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I haven't played it yet. Do you know what the pieces are? Like, instead of a top hat or a little card, are they... There's a dwarf with a, a tray with cocaine on his head. Okay. <laughs> that's great, one, of, that's one of the pieces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No. Perfect. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Flash Gordon is one of the pieces. Good. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> well, tell me when you find out. Um, yeah, a uh, big Queen fan. I feel like that's a that the, you, you got to be. How who who? Were they who were like, are there people who are like I don't care for Queen? Yes. Really? I mean, when I was growing up, they weren't cool. They definitely weren't cool. Like, um, I think they were going through a phase when, like, I guess punk kicked in, and also in the early '80s, there was there was such a big mainstream act that it wouldn't be like the kind of band that Enemy would get behind in mm, the later mm-hmm. years. So, and I remember even when I was at school, um, you know, some friends would sort of sneer at Queen, you know, because it was mainstream. But I used to love it, and I would unapologetically love it. Obviously, David Bowie was always a cool pick. The Queen, I don't remember it at the time being like a cool thing mm-hmm. to pick. And in fact, I remember when we um, were writing Shaun of the Dead, like Simon Pegg wasn't as big a Queen fan as I am. And in fact, there's some songs that he actively doesn't like. Like he doesn't like Bicycle Race. <laughs> that is a very silly song. <laughs> I mean, I like it, but I can understand why. But it was funny, like Don't Stop Me Now, I always had that in mind for that scene. And then we would listen to Queen's Greatest Hits on CD. And the reason that You're My Best Friend by Queen is in Shaun of the Dead as well is because on the Greatest Hits, it's the song after Don't Stop Me Now. So we would listen to Don't Stop Me Now. And then we would just listen to it. And then after a while of keeping hearing the intro of You're My Best Friend and the first lyric, Ooh, Ooh, You Making Me Live, I said, this should be the song at the end. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So it was, um, and they also, I got to say, I don't know who directly helped with this in terms of publishing or the artist, but like, you know, Shaun's Dead is not a big budget film, and we cleared two Queen tracks in that film, and so and without those tracks, I don't think it would be the same thing. So thank you, thank you, Queen. <laughs> um, my next song, oh, is actually the first. Uh, well, is wrapped around your finger by the Police. Ah. Mm-hmm. 
off of Synchronicity. Um, my first concert was Sting, and I wasn't particularly interested in what he was currently releasing, but I was a huge Police fan, so I was very excited when he actually... What kind of era Sting was it? I think it was... Not Sting and Shaggy, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I, I started seeing concerts very recently. Um, no, I guess Ten Summoner's Tales? Oh, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, so... It's very, very into the police. I thought for doing this, I was also like uh, kind of guessing at what I used to listen to and what I would have put on these mixes. And so last night I, um, te- I messaged my first boyfriend and was like, hey, did I ever make you any mixes? Did I, do you remember what I put on there? And he was like, yeah, uh, definitely. It was a lot of Tribe Called Quest. It was a lot of Fugazi. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of local bands. And um, and he was like, oh, and also a lot of uh, 80s stuff and the police. And you bought me these and pu- and started sending me pictures of 45s that I had bought him. Oh. And this was one of the 45s. And so I was like, oh, I picked the right song. Um, sent him, I had given him a 45 of this and Don't Stand So Close to Me and uh, Take On Me by AHA. That's pretty good guy. Yeah, right? Uh, I'm not sure that I... I, do, I, I, um, I used to... Yeah, the police, I... I don't think I had any of the albums, but I used to like some of the singles very much. So when I was a kid, I remember like seeing things like Message in a Bottle on Top of the Pops. Mm-hmm. I used to be very taken with, um, as a kid, Stuart Copeland just playing the drums on everything. Mm-hmm. Like on the every, every, every little thing she does is magic video. You know, when I was like six years old, I thought that was hilarious that Stuart Copeland was just playing drums on everything, not the drums. <laughs> <laughs> but I also used to like, um, like So Lonely. That's a great song. Hello. So lonely, so lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I uh, I also liked that they would always have these nerdy references in the lyrics, like the trap between uh, is it Scylla and Charybdis? I'm probably saying it wrong. Um, so I was like, oh, I get it, I get. It. I'm a Latin student. <laughs> I know these these Greek references. Mm-hmm. Um, that my backup for this one was "Waiting Room," a Fugazi song. Which also, they, they, these aren't like wrapped around your finger. I mean, it's kind of, I guess, romantic. It's also kind of fucked up. Like all of their love songs are like, I'm insane. Yes. I'm insane about you, and you'll never be rid of me. Um, which is a little chilling when you think about it. But I feel like in these mixes, also, I would would definitely throw things in to like throw people off my trail. Be like, I like you, or do I? Do I? Because here, this is just a theme song from a cartoon. I didn't want to be too obvious. Even when I was a little kid, because uh, I was probably, I remember like when Don't Stand So Close to Me was number one. And uh, even then, I, I think I remember asking my dad what it was about, because I couldn't figure it out. It was like, the teacher having an affair with the people, mm-hmm. or, or the people, like, what is it, a people like fancying the teacher or the other yes. way around? Yeah, yeah which is basically, it, it's, it's a similar dynamic to the Rock the Cradle of Love video. <laughs> Um, with him being like, oh, my God, get away from me. The, you're a sexy teenage girl, and I'm your teacher. <laughs> oh, God. Billy, actually, Billy Idol probably would have been another one that would have been sort of in that Venn diagram of uh, acts that both, like, um, me and Christy liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, um, uh, oh, what's that song? Oh, God, this is exactly the kind of thing I was looking at. It would be um, Hot in the City Tonight. Hot in the city. Hot in the city tonight. <laughs> by Billy Idol. I think that's what it's called. Um, and also Rock the Cradle Love and also his cover of Boney Maroney. Mm-hmm. Is it Boney Maroney? No, not Boney Maroney. Mm-hmm. It's um, Moni Moni. 
Oh, yeah. Money, money. Money, money. I was like, I don't know what you're talking yes. about, but I'm going to go with money, it. Money, money. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, White uh, Wedding, Rebel Yell. Oh, yeah. Those are all the good ones. Dancing with Myself. They're, they're, all, like, they're, with they're, myself, all, yeah. they're all like too cool, those ones. I was into the sort of later period, like sort of like 1987. Mm-hmm. Like um, Billy Idol. Like me in the uh, Room at the Top version of Adam Ant. Yes. <laughs> when he made his little comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, um, I do remember actually, it's funny, like thinking about the police. I remember asking my dad about Don't, Don't Stand So Close to Me. Because my dad was a teacher. I think he said something about it, about my dad in a sort of, we would listen to the radio because sometimes I would help my parents when they were working. They, they were both teachers, but they would also do art and screen printing. So one of my other like jobs would be to help them like with their screen printing and like handmade paper and stuff and putting it on trays and like sort of drying it off and we would listen to the radio. And I remember like I remember him saying something about don't stand so close to me. He goes, Well, you know, it's a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I remember specifically, and this is that this fact is into the Queen song, but it wasn't specifically about the Queen song. I think it was about um what who sings feels like making love? Is that bad company? Um, or rainbow. Uh, feels, feels like, like making love, mm-hmm. ba, 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 baby. Ba, when I think ba, ba, about ba. you, it's either bad company or rainbow, or I'm or I'm wrong. It's something else. Backman Turner Overdrive. It's one of those. I'm, Please tell I hope me. I'm singing the right song. My misery. I also. Uh, it's bad company. Yeah. Bad company. Isn't that like uh, Lola and Jemima Cook's dad is in bad company? Probably. Yes, okay. I'm right. All right. Yes. <laughs> uh, that that one is on you. Um, and what I was going to say, though, okay. is also wasn't Bad Company Paul Rogers, the singer, who also was one of Queen's like guest vocalists, pre-Adam Lambert. He did know. a whole tour with Paul Rogers, which is quite strange because Paul Rogers is the most heterosexual rock singer possible, hmm. which seemed like... Yeah, the sort of the can, antithesis of Freddie Mercury. You probably can sing Queen songs and be heterosexual. You just have to be. But I think a you would concentrate on the kind of like the um, you know the more uh, you know things like tie your mother down and stuff. Like maybe like love of my life is not really in hmm. Paul Rogers like. I, uh, I don't, sweet spot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about Bad Company. So I'm going to say I just want to check that I'm right, so that people aren't going. Look is wrong. Jemima Cook's dad is a in bad company. All right. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I was. So, what else about me in these mixtapes? I was. Uh, oh, oh, oh I, I just yes, remembered what I was going to say. That's why I brought. It feels like making love. That song would be on the radio, and I remember when I was maybe like eight years old. I asked my dad what making love meant because mm-hmm. I didn't know. And that's one of the things like with these talking about these Prince songs and any of these things is like you have to imagine. This is the thing like sort of millennials listening won't remember this. But like when I was 15, like I had never seen a porno film. Like now everybody's seen everything on the internet. So Back then, weird. you like you hadn't like you'd sort of like seen some sex education stuff at school, but you know whatever you had picked up had been from like Stephen King novels <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. sort of, or bits of films that weren't them them in themselves were not entirely clear either. So you certainly hadn't been watching like sort of the Secret Diary Pornhub film. from the age of 11 to like 18. So, like, um, which is probably a very um, a bad thing for the next generation. It um, is. Is. Have you, have, do you, have you uh, heard or read The Butterfly Effect by John Ronson? No. Oh, it's all about how the advent of Pornhub and porn becoming free and accessible has changed the world in so many different ways. And there are some chilling statistics about the teen generation now and uh, sex. Like, 
teen teen pregnancy is way down, but teen erectile dysfunction is way up. I'm sorry to hear that, but yeah. I do want to make everybody feel better by saying that, yes, uh, Jemima Kirk's dad is Simon Kirk, the drummer from Free and Bad Company. There you go. So maybe that makes so up for all can... of the sort of the sexual dysfunction in like uh, young people growing up. Yeah, so relax. <laughs> relax. Relax. Just Listen, do it. Lola Kirk and Jemima yeah. Kirk's dad was cool, okay? Mm-hmm. But when, oh, this is the thing. I asked my dad, I said, mm-hmm. what does making love mean? What does making love mean? And he got very flustered and went red, and his answer did not clear things up at all. He said, exactly what it means, making love. (laughs) Uh, You think that was a conversation later on that night between your parents? (laughs) Like, (laughs) okay, Edgar asked about this, and I I don't know if I nailed it. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Yeah, my mom... I remember listening to Vogue in the car with my mom, and uh, Rita Hayworth gave good face. She was like, you know that's a sex thing. And I was oh. like, what? I don't, I don't want to know that from you right now. And she was like, well, you should know. It's a sex thing. It's very rude. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, there's lots, I mean, I'm trying to think of the other, like, I mean, a lot of the Prince songs would be things that, like, I just, you know, like, any of the sex references in those when I was a teenager would just go right over my head. Like, like references to condoms and stuff and Little Red Corvette. I wouldn't mm-hmm. understand what any of that was about. I mean, a lot of, like, um, I'm trying to think there's probably... Lots of, uh, I, mean, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but like tons and tons mm-hmm. of like sex songs that I didn't entirely understand. And so maybe like sort of understood what Lola by the Kinks was about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty sort of clear. That seemed fun to me. Hey. Yes. <laughs> you know, dressing up. Um, I uh, was, I also, for these mixtapes, I definitely, as I said, would have recorded things off of the TV. Um, and put in all kinds of little clips, which I also, I think, kind of warned you about. So, like, this definitely would have been in here probably around now. He's going to get us. He's going to turn us all into vampires, and we'll all be dead and yet still alive. Yes. Like Leonard Cohen. (laughs) The young Uh, ones, my favorite. Yeah, would have had lots of young ones clips uh, recorded from TV and memorized by me, stuck in between these songs for some boy to be like, I don't know what this is about, but now I'm okay, great. The Young Ones was like uh, an extinction-level event in comedy in the UK in terms of... I remember the first series came out in 1982 when I was eight, and I was not allowed to stay up and watch it. And all of the cool kids at school the next day had all seen The Young Ones and all be like repeating bits from The Young Ones. And I was like so mad that I couldn't see it, and my parents would be like, you can't stay up and watch The Young Ones, it's too adult. But then by the time the second one came around in 1984, second and final series, I was allowed to stay up and... I just thought it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. It was like so much energy, so, so funny. So silly. And, you know, such great performances. And then also you'd have these bands. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the best, the, the best episode of The Young Ones, I think everybody's favorite episode of The Young Ones from the second series, Bambi, mm-hmm. also features Motorhead singing The Ace of Spades. Mm-hmm. And it's probably the most exciting bit of comedy TV <laughs> ever. It's where, you know, like they say, to the train station. You know, sort of, and then, like, Lemmy just appears and starts playing Ace of Spades. It's, like, fantastic. Yeah. You know the reason they had bands on that show? No, why? They wanted to get more money for the budget, and by having um, bands on meant that it was a variety show and not a sitcom. So from the BBC, they could get a variety show budget and not a sitcom budget. So to pay for all of the effects and stunts 
they had a band on. Now, there's one episode of The Young Ones where there's no band, but there is like a lion tamer, and that counted as the entertainment. <laughs> it's still variety. Yes, it's still variety, so yeah. that's how they justified their budget. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely remember seeing Madness. Oh, yeah, um, Madness twice, I think. Madness mm-hmm. run twice. Dexy's Midnight Runners, mm-hmm. The Damned, um, uh, Pig Bag. Um, yeah, and some, someone's, I mean, a couple of bands that are like sort of famous because they were on the young ones and then mm. they were like Madness obviously like a major band and uh, actually Madness would be another one that I probably would have had um, uh, I'd at least love Madness they're one of my favourite singles bands hmm. me too Wings of a Dove by Madness doesn't get more exciting than that mm-hmm. what's your next one? It's are you, you going to go into a, a young oh is it did you what was your last one my last one was wrapped around your finger oh yes and, uh, creepy police yeah creepy, <laughs> creepy police um, for the record I used to think every breath you take was creepy at the time it was yeah I yeah. mean I didn't ever think of it as like a sort of it used to creep me out and it, I, I, I used to like it but it's just something used to unnerve me about it and the video yeah um, it, all of their songs there is no romantic police song they're all creepy or fun or most of them lonely and I'm different from you and you don't understand. I'm this singular, unique, lonely man. Is everything, every little thing she does is magic and upbeat police song? Or what are the, what are the verses uh, like? Yeah I, do, yeah, I guess so. All right, you proved me but wrong. But there's probably one some, song you proved me wrong. You, no, I bet you if you listen to the verses, yeah, it's, it's all probably creepy. like I'll tear out your spleen. <laughs> <laughs> you won't see me coming. But everything you do is magic. Um, yeah, so your next one. Uh, is this my last one? My last of the five? Mm-hmm. I mean, I true to form, I came up with about like ten of them. I couldn't stop after once I started, <laughs> like Pringles. Um, I my last one is David Bowie, uh, Drive in Saturday. Um, oh. Of Aladdin scene, Yes. Another good sax break in this by David Sanborn. This, I love this album. Aladdin Sane, it's funny because everybody always talks about like um, Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust, but Aladdin Sane is another absolute stormer. Mm-hmm. It's so good. All of the piano playing on this album by Mike Garson is so good. But this is like, this is like a great Bowie single. And I never really, I was really up about it. I never really. When I would listen to old songs, I wouldn't really think too much about the lyrics. So I would sort of get bits of the lyrics, but I would never really analyze exactly what it was about. And this was a song I never really understood what it was about. Mm. And I was reading about it today, and it said that it was about people in the future watching pornos as a way of remembering how to have sex. I was like, I did not get that at the time. <laughs> yeah. And I, I realized he mentioned Mick Jagger and like sort of, you know, like um, it had a sort of like a, you know, like a, a 50s um, like movie mm-hmm. theme. But yeah. But it's also, I, I mean, he's just one of those artists where, again, he's somebody that I remember very vividly, like, seeing on Top of the Pops when I was a kid, probably around the time when I was watching Top of the Pops, probably the first time I was really aware of him was, like, Ashes to Ashes, hmm. when that was, like, a number one single, and that video was, like, state-of-the-art and was not, seemed like it was number one for weeks, and... Uh, and so, you know, through and then going just backwards through his catalogue, he'd be another artist like Queen that I would just try and get every single Bowie album. And, um, uh, you know, and just used to listen to, like, Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust and The Land Sane and Station to Station and Lodger mm-hmm. um, and Low and Scary Monsters over and over and over and over again. Obviously, that I, I deliberately, as I probably would have picked Driving Saturday because it's another sort of, like, Sounds like a ma- makey out song. We never say make out in the UK, we say snogging. Oh. Is that for all types <laughs> of kissing? There's what, make no- out? Well, snogging. snogging. 
Snogging is like sort of it, it would be like make like sort of having a, a, a full on makeout. I'm not sure what sort of um, snogging is. I mean, it's more than just like sort of just a kiss. Snogging is, I guess, really going for in it. for the night. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Um, maybe not. Maybe like maybe like first base. Maybe not like sort of second base, third base home run, as Dave Levering would say. Um, <laughs> but like snogging is what you call it. Or get get. Well, also there's another like cultural divide. Is getting off means something different in the UK. What does it mean there? It means snogging. It means making out. Oh, yeah. So if you it were does. gossiping the next day at school, it's like, oh my god. Edgar Wright totally didn't get off with Sarah Newton and Mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> so getting off would be snogging. Okay. Uh, I know, I just got off with her. Did you get, would you get, would you say like you liked someone? Or, because I remember fancied. it was, yeah. For us, fancied. it was like, do you oh, like, like them or do you like them? Oh, no, them? I, I totally fancy someone. Mm-hmm. Fancy. Oh, I fancy the pants of her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> These are all the things you can't say in this current climate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think if you've been given permission, um, and if you've had discussions and consent, yeah, you can tell someone that you want to uh, get fancy I f- their pants I fancy off. you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, this also I always get upset that people, I don't get upset. Um, it bugs me that people associate this cover with Ziggy Stardust. Uh, you mean the? Oh, the, you mean? Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. The, the, his makeup on the cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the crazy. I mean, I could see why that would be because what's amazing when you look at these artists is like Bowie, like was knocking them out every six months. Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust came out in the same year. Really? Yeah, they're both the same year. Huh. And uh, I think Aladdin, Sane, and Pinups are in the same year as well. He was like, knocking out two albums a year. It's ridiculous. Um, Do you think that's a result of one person being incredibly prolific or having other people around to collaborate with that? I think it was probably just back in the day that there was um, people used to buy a lot more albums and maybe like things didn't sort of cycle through the radio. I don't know. It's, it's a good question because, you know, the entire Beatles output is in eight years, mm-hmm. seven years maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about the different eras, it seems that they went through in yeah. that time also. Like, yeah, the Beatles were like sort of at some points knocking out two albums a year. It's incredible. Um, and the same with that Bowie is that you look at like how many albums there are in the 70s and sometimes it's more than one a year. It's astonishing. So to think like Hunky Dory, which now a lot of people I think think is his best album or a lot of people would say it's their favorite Bowie album is that that at the time came out didn't do so well so he's like oh I'm, I've got another one <laughs> Ziggy never mind never mind never, never mind, mind next one never next mind, mind next Hunky Dory <laughs> maybe my best work here's another like my best work mm-hmm. and like just imagine like this the productivity of that time it's incredible was this so and he was your first concert yes and same same place the uh, town that everyone Milton was ashamed of? No, but another town that everybody was ashamed <laughs> okay. of. There's yeah, lots right. of places. Shepin's, uh, Shepton Mallet, um, Royal Bath and West Showground is where I saw Dave Lee Roth. Milton Keynes Bowl is where I saw Dave Barry. I want to say that he played this song at that concert. I want to say he played Driving Saturday. Hmm. What was your uh, teen move with girls? <laughs> oh, God. Um, I think probably... Um, um, Probably like putting on like Slow Love by Prince and trying <laughs> yeah. to like get off with them. Just right out of the <laughs> gate. <laughs> Just get them in a room and put on some Prince. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I look back at that sort of time. It's just, uh, I think I was like so very like impulsive and romantic and would be writing letters and making cards mm-hmm. and like all sorts of things. And um, uh, yeah, I think it was also that, always that thing of just 
you know, back in those days, it'd always be geared around when parents weren't going to be in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was that thing where it's like, and usually my parents never went out. My parents <laughs> never, ever went out. Um, it's like my yeah, my parents never went out, but my my boyfriend's parents would leave town sometimes. Yes, yeah, so sometimes my my a girlfriend's parents would sort of do something on a Saturday night. So you knew you had kind of like a window of when they would be out and when they might come back. <laughs> like, so you had to figure that out later. And I'm ashamed of this story is that I would like sort of I'd sort of given up. I, I then I went out with a girl for a long time who refused to have sex in her house, even if her parents weren't there. Hmm. And so she would come back to my house. Now, the thing is, my parents never went out. So then uh, I perfected what I later found out was, like, uh, not a very good science, but a science of, like, play, be upstairs listening to records. Mm -hmm. And that would mean, like, listening to records and playing them loud enough that any noises could be, like, drowned out. Any sex noises. The sort of Freddie Mercury... These noise. exact songs is what the get down saying. make love so- uh, sound that Freddie makes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so here's here'd be my plan is that like we'd be watching a movie in your room and maybe like listening to Prince loud loud enough that any like noises of any like um, sort of uh, grunting might be like sort of drowned out. And then I'd have a beanbag and I'd put a beanbag against my door. So in the advent of my dad walking in, <laughs> it would like he wouldn't be able to get in straight away. Yeah. Now, here's this is this is my dad, obviously they then it was when it comes like close to like eleven and when this person has to go home. And I think by then I was really seventeen and I had a car. And um, I would you know, supposed to be giving like my girlfriend at the time, Claire, if you're listening, sorry to tell all this um, like well, a ride home you, you could have told it without her name I'm making her name up it's not Claire <laughs> definitely not Claire um, but my so this is what would happen like my dad would sort of be so wise to what was going on that if it was time that like she not Claire should go home that he would walk up the stairs and he would knock on the wall as if to sort of give me like yeah. fif- 15 seconds he didn't want to walk in on you either no absolutely not I get that so he would knock and then that would be that thing of, like, we got to get out of here. Like, mm. sort of get dressed and get out of here. The thing is, is that, like, I thought this was a foolproof plan. It's that, like, by playing, like, sort of, um, you know, um, diamonds and pearls at loud volume that nobody could possibly hear what was going on downstairs. Later, um, years later, I think at Christmas, <laughs> I remember vividly, uh, my parents never used to be in the living room. We didn't, we, we lived in a film, uh, like a house that was unfinished. My parents like had bought this house and had tried to get like building work done and then had run out of money and then the film, the, the house had been unfinished. So I lived in like an, a half finished house that was undecorated. So we never had a living room so my parents would always be in the kitchen and that would be where the TV was. So we'd watch TV in the kitchen. I remember one Christmas um, watching Hunt for Red October with my parents <laughs> and upstairs I could hear my brother and his girlfriend and I could hear the creaking, and then I was like, "Oh, no, no, that's, it what it, that's what it sounds like." <laughs> Even with music, and it was so embarrassing. That thing where I was sitting watching Hunt for October, and my mum and my dad and myself not acknowledging the creaking sound that was coming from upstairs, and just like all very fixed <laughs> on Hunt for Red October, and not acknowledging this kind of sex sound from upstairs. Mm-hmm. But also, I was like dying in shame because I thought, "Oh, all those times, yep, you would suddenly- have been able to hear this creaky single bed." Suddenly the Rashomon uh, angle of seeing your parents just hear all of your, se- your so teen I'd like sex. to apologize to my <laughs> mom and dad for those, like, unholy creaks. Mm-hmm. And also to my brother and his girlfriend for telling the story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, and to Sean Connery for not really concentrating on Hadford in October. <laughs> <laughs> I, we had a basement that I would hang out with my boyfriend in. And I remember one time my dad coming to the top of the stairs of the basement and same sort of thing, like knocking, like, you come up here. Clearly, in hindsight, did not want to walk in on me. And I remember going up the stairs and him being like, it's way too late. He should be going home. This is not, you were supposed to be in bed. He should get, get rid of him. Um, what are you even doing? And I remember being very haughty and like, I, well, I, it is not too late. I know exactly what time we're supposed to leave. I got it. Please. I am a grown up. And went back downstairs and realized that my sweater was on inside out and backwards. <laughs> oh, no, I've definitely done that as well. I did something like that where I was with a different girlfriend and we were at her house and her parents had gone out. And then they'd come back early and then we're like scrabbling around in the dark to get dressed again. And then we went out to meet the parents and I was wearing her jeans and not mine. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best version of that I have ever heard. (laughs) I mean, the impressive thing is I fit into her jeans. I'm not sure I could do that now. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely getting in someone's pants. Um, My final song is, again, as I said, I was very into recording things from the TV. This is Cheek to Cheek by Fred Astaire. Mmm. Classy, very classy, Emma. Heaven. Yeah, this was on. Look at you mixing up Fugazi and Fred Astaire. I was I was inaccessible. (laughs) (laughs) Um so yeah, from Top Hat, 1935. Yeah. Written by Irving Berlin for Fred Astaire for this. And then that's the amazing thing about those movies. I mean, you watch these, like, Esther and Rogers movies or the Busby Berkeley movies, and they're not, like, standards. They were written for those movies. Mm-hmm. So you watch, like, Dames for Busby Berkeley, and it's like, I Only Have Eyes for You is written for that movie. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for me, this is... It's all about the, the um, that uh, feathery dress yes. that um, Ginger Roger wears in, the, in this scene. And then they... they they'd go out and dance around a gazebo and everything. Mm, big fan. Would you ever go to like sort of um, like promish kind of parties where people would dress up old timey? A little bit. Well, yeah, we had, we had one prom. Our junior year prom was canceled because um, everybody, we'd had a trip to New York and the kids were bad. Um, what did they do? They, I think they got high and stuff. I, I didn't go with the school. Uh, because my sister was living in New York at the time and my best friend's brother was also living in New York. So we just went up and stayed with my sister for a, a night or two and her brother for a night or two just to save money on the hotel and still be there. Um, so we were like, well, it's not fair. We didn't get in trouble, but they weren't going to have a prom just for me and my friend. Um, yeah, that was, uh, I remember going by and visiting them and just the hallways just full of smoke and debauchery. Um, I had a senior prom and that was at... A like a Holiday Inn or something, and I wore a. Um, <laughs> I always wore vintage dresses because like that's what I could afford. But for the actual senior, because the junior after our junior year prom got canceled, they ended up having a punk show, just a band, and so everybody wore their prom dresses to that. So that was like a, a vintage dress, and then our actual one, I wore my grandmother's dress, and I went with my best friend. And I remember the photographer having a really hard time with how to take a picture of us together as two girls. Um, and getting very flustered about it. And we were just best friends who were there. And then line behind us were an actual lesbian couple, but one of them just was so butch that the photographer didn't notice. Um, and for them, he was like, yeah, okay, I get this. I understand how to do this picture. But so our prom picture is very, very awkward. 
This all seems a lot more advanced than my sort of like um, like prom days and stuff. I don't think we didn't we didn't really have we, prom isn't really an like an, uh, an English thing at all. You'd have like an end of year school disco sometimes. A disco? Yeah, it would be called school disco. Hmm. Like, and I think maybe when I was at school, we had a th- like a sort of a prom thing, but it isn't like a tradition. It is not a tradition of. So not all schools have like an end of year dance. Mm-hmm. Um, or they don't have a thing called prom. Sometimes you have a school disco. I do remember when I was a school disco, like a primary school. So this is between the ages of, mm, like I guess like six to ten or something like that, or like yeah, that you'd have school discos and people would have like slow slowies, like slow dances. Mm-hmm. And I remember that I was never, I never like had a slow dance with anybody. And usually at those kind of dances, and also this guy went on into like secondary school, especially like when I was like at like 10, 11, 12, mm-hmm. I would go to like parties and people would play like slowies and like the sort of like the handsome boys at school would kind of be with the sort of like the, the prettiest girls and they'd be like slow dancing and sometimes like snogging on the dance floor. But because I was always on the sidelines, any like song that was one of those songs that people would um uh, be dancing to when I was like left like a wallflower with no nobody to dance with. I would hate those fucking songs. I know. And those songs would include "Live to Tell" by Madonna, <laughs> um, "A Different Corner" by George Michael, <laughs> and also "Careless Whisper" as well. Also, specifically, um, "I Want to Know What Love Is" by Foreigner. Mm-hmm. So whenever I hear any of those songs, it immediately makes me feel sort of like, um, you know, like a, must have been love, Roxette. That one that was maybe a bit later, but okay. yes, must have been love. Definitely remember, like, sort of, um, even though I like Madonna, I would not like live to tell because it would make me feel the sort of the deep shame of like not being picked to dance, yeah. Foreigner, as well. If I hear that on like in a like a cab, like late night, you it's, it's one of those things like you don't really, um, like in the UK, I think like London cab drivers are always listening to things like Magic FM, and so there's always that thing when just like you've had like a night out or maybe you've even. I think I remember like I'd maybe been on like an unsuccessful date or something where I was like gone on a date and then sort of going home on my own. And then you get into a cab and they're playing fucking I Wanna Know What Love Is by Florida. <laughs> As if to spite you, it's like, no, <laughs> not this song. Yeah. No, yeah. Not, not but, now. But it sounds like you cleaned up once you were like uh, 15. And I was, I, I was, I, yeah, I was not the girl that people danced with. Um, I was a weirdo and. Um, my my move was being funny, which is not does not actually like communicate to people. I have a crush on you. It just communicates like, wow, she knows a lot of lines to recite. And, yeah, I would uh, have been the same. I was never like a jock. I would definitely have been a ducky and not an Andrew McCarthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they don't really have girl versions of that and uh, represented as archetypes. I guess maybe it's the manic pixie dream girl, but that's still someone that people everybody falls in love with. Um, I was very into performance art. That was what I wanted to be when I was when I was a kid. I was like, I'm going to be a performance artist when I grow up. That like that's a normal choice. And we would do. And where did you get that idea from to be a performance artist? Sprockets. Uh, um, <laughs> no, probably initially Laurie Anderson. Oh wow, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, w- I wasn't joking around. Um, and we would, I would do performance art Mondays in the teachers' lounge because uh, the students would not have tolerated that. And I remember one time, my best friend and I putting on these outfits. I had like a weird chicken suit I had put together and she had like a, uh, a chef outfit she had put together. And we just went around the town, uh, our hometown, um, chasing each other. Just we're like, we're giving people something to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, are they going to have a question mark in their head for the rest of the day. But isn't that fun? Um, and one of the places that we were running was um, 
was right outside the house of this boy that I had a big crush on. And he was outside. He was like in the college and he was standing up on his balcony. And I remember running by in my chicken suit and noticing him and like stopping and looking up at him and being like, hey, what's up? (laughs) And he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, ah, we're just hanging out. And my friend came up and she had a little knife and she was like poking me in the butt. Like, go, go. You're supposed to be running. And I'm like, okay, we'll be, we'll see you later. Bye. Like rubber gloves on, beak. Not at all cool. Um, and I, I remember getting in the car and just being devastated. Like, ugh, I feel like he didn't I didn't make the greatest impression there. I feel like I did the same thing is that I definitely, in an attempt to like sort of be, I definitely would be more like a sort of, I think around when I was like 14, I said definitely like a, a strain of mischief kind of like took over and things like, drawing caricatures like doing like sort of silly kind of like 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 goofy kind of sketches with my friend being in the school plays and being like the funny one in inverted commas or that and then that turned into like making films and then it was like just kind of goofing around the whole time like and and when I used to make films when I was a teenager I used to I figured out that one of the nicest things about it was getting more and more people outside my friends group to be in them because people like wanted to sort of be involved so then you'd kind of get everybody from like you know the rougher kids not the jocks as we would call them but like the sort of the, the some bullies or like tough kids from the estates like to sort of like you're making a movie yeah exactly. we want to be in it <laughs> when i actually saw rushmore there was that moment where he gets the school bully to be in the movie and i was thinking oh i'd done exactly that and it was like a really great thing where it was like a leveler making these movies where everybody's in it together and strangely, and there's some people who like were from like the posher side of town who like let on to be like priests. So there's one guy, <laughs> Richard, and then there's also this other guy like who was like you know hung with the tough kids and stuff who was in the movie as well. But um, that was definitely something I did. It was, I, I wasn't. I'm not gonna say that I was making movies exclusively to meet girls. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. I wrote. I used to. I was such a creep. I would uh, always put kissing scenes and things and be like, "So this is my role." Um, hey, cute boy, would you like to play this role? Oh, there is a scene where you kiss me. Um, so production starts Monday. Uh, what do you say? I, which wouldn't have me blacklisted. Now, should I do that? Professionally? I never did. I was never really in my movies. I would do little cameos, but I was always behind the camera. So I, I never, I never did that. And I don't think I ever had like. A kissing scene with somebody, even in a school play or in the film. Well, to, I mean, it, to I, be fair, I, the like, kissing so f- stuff would have been in uh, like my twenties. I, as a right. teenager, would never have done that. I did make movies where, like, little videos that I tr- try to get the cute boys to be in. But yeah, it would never would have been like, touch me. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh but, yeah, I did. Um, so I actually, because I always got eyes bigger than my stomach, I did way more than five. So I actually ended up with ten songs. And these all would have been ones that have been on like a I Like You stroke secret makeout mix. Um, <laughs> Days by the Kinks, which is a fantastic song. Oh, oh yeah, beautiful. This is one of those singles, you know, back in like the 60s and 70s, especially in the 60s, bands would have singles that then wouldn't be on the albums. They'd like record them with mm-hmm. the rest of the album. Like Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane are supposed to be on Sgt. Pepper. Hmm. But they'd already released them as a single, so they said, oh, we've already released that, so everything else has got to be new. Hmm. Whereas, like, Strawberry Fields would fit perfectly into Sgt. Pepper. And Days is recorded at the same time as the Village Green Preservation Society and would slot perfectly into that album. And I always love that one. What else have I got? Mm. 
Mm. Oh Darling by the Beatles. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's several Beatles kind of make-out songs you could have gone for. Sexy Sadie would be another one. Yeah, but Sexy Sadie might accidentally end up murdering people. Yes. You never know. That can lead out a dark path. the original lyric was Maharishi, you stupid git. That's what the original lyric was, Mm. and then they changed it. (laughs) It was about the Maharishi when they went to India was, I think, a bit creepy with Mia Farrow's sister, Tisa Farrow. And so John Lennon was really, like, disheartened by the Maharishi's actions and went back and wrote um, Sexy Sadie, but with the original lyrics, Maharishi, you stupid git. (laughs) (laughs) Which is how it's supposed to go. So let's ignore Sexy Sadie. Oh, darling, I think it's one of my favorite Paul McCartney vocals. It's so great, and it like like a lot of these. Was always like some like you know when he like really goes for it. Like when you told me, mm-hmm. it's so good. It, I've used it as as an audition song. You do? I have, yeah. Well, you've uh, auditioned for what? For like a TV show or something? For like musicals back back in New York when oh I would have God. to have a. I want to hear your version of Oh Darling. Uh, karaoke with me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what else have we got here? Need You Tonight by NXS. I mean, everybody loves that one. I feel that's like one of those. That is a great one. It's a fantastic song. I mean, this was definitely a band that I got into because Christy, this girlfriend, she liked NXS. And she actually liked, she was cool enough to like the previous album, which uh, had uh, um, What You Need on it. Um, and Listen Like Thieves. Maybe that was the name of the album as well, Listen Like Thieves. But this is from Kick. And I just remember this This album was like great because it had like Need You Tonight, New Sensation, um, Never Tear Us Apart. I had a guy send me, uh, say, say that, I, to, that early NXS is amazing and like send, send me a couple of our albums and he was like, yeah, much better than Kick. And I was like, yeah, but ooh, <laughs> I like Kick. I don't, I'm not impressed anymore. Um, that was always when that, when that video came out for Need You Tonight with the sort of like the state of the art kind of like video effects at the time of them sort of like slipping on and off screen and like in black and white was uh it's good i mean they sort of became kind of a bit uncool in the uk because i think michael hutchins became too much of a a uh, a celebrity like around town and they were sort of you know considered mainstream so there was also that band that like i used to really like them but then by the time i got to art college in excess were like you know people were like hipsters were all snooty about them um <laughs> next one um Somebody who I'm not sure is, well, like Robert Palmer, who I think most people, when they think of Robert Palmer, immediately think of his mm-hmm. backup band of supermodels in black mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on the videos for Addicted to Love and Simply mm-hmm. Irresistible. Mm-hmm. But this is uh, um, Johnny and Mary, which is a fantastic song, which isn't earlier than that. Oh, love it. Ooh. Kind of has a stepping out vibe. This is a great song. Do you know this one? Mm-mm. This is a great song. I love this one. This is before like Addicted to Love. He had some good stuff. I mean, he was a, he was somebody as well that I'm not sure like where he where he was on the call like register because he like had massive hits. But he always seemed like somebody like sometimes you get those pop stars in the 80s, especially in the UK, who seemed like they were like too old to be pop stars. Mm. They were like proper like like grown ups like. Chris Rea and Robert Palmer. But were they? I, I wonder if that was just how it looked to us as kids. Yeah. Because we're like, I mean, you've got to be 90. <laughs> you got a <laughs> suit on. Like, you look like you pay rent. You're an old man. 
Well, I guess they're definitely like grown-ups. Yes. You know, like Peter Gabriel or somebody else. Who like, uh, he's another person. Like the So album was one that mm-hmm. I absolutely loved. And yeah, that, was, that, that was one was... that I had crossed over with my dad. My dad was a big Genesis fan, but mm. my dad was like a Genesis hipster. would be like, yeah, I like them better when it was Peter Gabriel. Yeah, as far as the <laughs> things that I, act, that I thought were just incredibly sexy when I was a teen like and have burnt out to the point where like I can't hear them anymore where it was in your eyes from so and um don't give up with Kate Bush what? don't give up because <laughs> you have friends that wasn't what I was going to say but oh, okay. okay um but also uh um uh oh that um let's get it on by Marvin Gaye? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But like they're you can't they're they I mean that's a universal sex jam yeah but they're not anymore it's we, just too obvious. Oh, We've yeah. heard them too many times. You, you roll your eyes at them now. But when I was 15, ooh. Um, you got one? Still, you still can't go wrong with um, Got to Give It Up by Marvin Gaye. Mm-hmm. That's still like sort of, although I would say Pharrell and Robin Thicke are innocent. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do genuinely think that when you listen to those two songs together, like, it isn't the same song. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in a lot of the, a lot of that stuff. And, and like we're... Uh, like a lot of the rap songs that you can't play or that they can't stream because of all the samples. And I feel like in some ways other people's riffs are kind of instruments. Do you know what I mean? Like, so using those instruments in new ways are, that's a way of creating music, but we can't. But in that particular case, it's like the vibe is the same, but the melody is different. But has anybody ever come on this podcast and said, Robin Thicke is innocent? (laughs) No, but I'm only like a few episodes in. So, um, and also, I don't want to say, while he I'm might not be innocent, everything while, I was going to say, while he might be innocent of that, there's so many other things <laughs> to dislike, to about, dislike him. about him. Well, um, listen, uh, oh, where's my last one? Um, oh, you li- I know you like this one as well. Or, but, you, and if you, but Adam Ant <laughs> was another big artist for me. And I think when I was a kid, like, uh, you know, I was a kid around the time of like Top of the Pops, like Prince Charming and Stand and Deliver. And friend or foe, like, couldn't be bigger. This is, like, from a bit later once he ditched the ants. This is Desperate But Not Serious, which um, definitely a girl sent to me on, like, I Like mm. You Jam. A different girl. I wasn't See, cheating. See, I'm not, I'm not feeling like a, sad for you as a teen. You, no. You're cleaning up. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank Helen for this, this, this mix, which had Desperate Not, not Serious on it. It's also this on the like same album as like Mambo sex. number five from you hearing these girls' S-E-X. names. <laughs> um, Some of them I'm still in touch with, so it's kind of funny. Oh, that's nice. It is nice. Mm. Yes, uh, my my very first like just holding hands boyfriend is a listener of the podcast. Hi, Sal. <laughs> um, and on our first date, I think only date, we saw um, Warren Zevon and oh. um, uh, and the the Smithereens, and I got uh, I got barfed on. Oh, my drunk when boy. did you grow up again? Richmond, Virginia. So with the, because um, that's the thing is that in my hometown, that you rarely get big musical acts nearby. I didn't really start going to see concerts until, I mean, it would be a major trip to go and see a concert apart from David Lee Roth. Well, yeah, a lot of them are like, we had to go to another town to see Sting. I had right. to go with my best friend and her dad and go to the, to the big Coliseum in Hampton, um, about like an hour from Richmond for that. Where, how old were you when you saw the Smithereens? I guess I must have been 14. Oh, 15. very cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was cool. <laughs> that I had, um, but weird. 
Um, and so, since you got so many bonus tracks, I'm, I want to go out. Snatch your little 14 year old hips to go to see the Smithereens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and getting barfed on. And by the way, that boy was a Mormon, so uh, would not kiss me. So, what a night. Um, <laughs> so, we'll go out on my, one of my songs. Um, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it's fun. I actually, I, I'm embarrassed to say how much I enjoyed uh, recreating my 1989 uh, um, Getting Off Jam. Oh. And then driving around at night listening to it. Uh. I had to drive like to work like at like at eleven thirty at night last night, and I was like listening to "Get Down, Make Love," and like I said, turning up the volume every time the chorus came on, which is like for anybody watching me, they're saying, "Who's that middle-aged guy?" <laughs> <laughs> so this wasn't the terrifying experience no, that you no, thought it no, might be. Great. <laughs> All right. Um, hey, how can people find you? Do you have anything that you want to plug? No, right now, no. Oh, okay. For the first time in a year, All right. I think sort of uh, I, I, I've done like a solid year of promotion for Baby Driver, and so I don't need to talk about it anymore. Okay, good. Um, I feel I'm like... I'm promoting nothing. Great. Um, I feel like your fans are going to be very angry with me for talking during this podcast. Um, but they can deal <laughs> with it. I feel like um, I talked plenty. Yeah, you did. <laughs> um, thank you so much. And uh, one of my bonus tracks, The Warrior by Patty, by Scandal. Oh, I don't know this one. Yeah, you do. Do I? Yeah. Let's listen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Who's it by Scandal? Mm-hmm. I do not know this song. You don't know this? Really? When she starts singing? You don't run, run away. It's your heart that you betray. I don't think this is a hit in the UK. Wait till we get to the chorus. Okay, okay. If, if you don't Let's know the chorus, going. then you don't know it. It sounds in the kind of like the um, Pat Benatar vein. It is. A lot of people think it is Pat Benatar, but it's not. I know this one, but you know what it does make me think of? Oh, this is now a bonus stuff. I don't want to put it back on. Okay, okay. <laughs> you, I don't know this song, but it does remind me of another band that like, my girlfriend at the time liked. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I pretended to like them because they were like super, super catchy. But she used to love Heart and Heart oh, in the yeah. 80s. So like, in dream, is it dreams? Yeah. And how can I get you alone? That's how do I get you alone? And it's the other one, In Dreams, right? In, in dreams, these dreams, these dreams. Come on, when I close my eyes. Every second of the night, I live another life. These dreams. <laughs> yeah, and well, also, was There's uh, another big one as well um, that we're missing. The, I, uh, we walked in the garden, we planted a tree. Oh, I don't know um, that one. All I want to do is make love, love to, to you. Love to you, that's hot. Yeah. Yeah. I felt more like a mom jam. But those ones are so hot and they're kind of like was. sort of hairband mm-hmm. phase, big hair, like sort of, because there's heart from like the late 70s is like Barracuda and stuff, which yeah. is like cool heart. Yeah, girls who rock. 
And then later there's the sort of their like set like 87 ballads kind of phase. And I I used to like, those would be the things I'd listen to on the radio that I wouldn't admit to liking, but I kind of like, they were so catchy, you couldn't not like them. Yeah. See also uh, Black Velvet by Alana Miles. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Black Velvet. Oh, yeah, I remember that being on the top five at ten. Um, anyway. We should stop talking. Yeah. We got it. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Cool Playlist. I'm Eliza Skinner. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Eliza Skinner. You can follow the podcast at, at Cool Playlist Pod. You can also find our website at coolplaylistpod.com and you can find links to all the playlists we make and anything we talk about and our Patreon. We don't have advertisers, so we rely on Patreon co-producers like you. The theme music is by Ross Bryant. The art and logo is by D. Billy at Duchess and the Queen Studio. And the podcast is produced by cool DJ Aristotle Acevedo. Oh, and you can always rate and review us on iTunes. Everybody loves that. Bye!